This is The Guardian. Today, why the search for the origins of COVID isn't just a question of science. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. It might just be the biggest mystery in the world. Three years since it sent us all into lockdown. Where did COVID-19 come from? Earlier this month, Dr. Florence Debarre, an evolutionary biologist, was working on the answer. It was a Saturday afternoon. You know, I have a bad work-life balance. Um, I was looking for information about a sequence that had been shared on the GISET database. And I had more results that appeared than usual. So that's the first step when I realised that something was up. What was up? were thousands of pieces of raw genetic data that appeared to have come from the Huanan seafood market in Wuhan in the early days of a pandemic that would go on to kill nearly 7 million people. This crucial information was uploaded quietly, without any announcement, on a scientific database. Chinese government scientists had had this data for three years, and they had told the world there was nothing in it to suggest an animal at the market might have been responsible for COVID jumping into human populations. But when Flo and her colleagues analysed the same data, they got a different result. It's just raccoon dog, raccoon dog, raccoon dog, raccoon dog. And that was amazing. We're still a really long way from the answer to where COVID came from. But while Debaray's discovery was a breakthrough in solving one mystery, it's led to others. A day after she and her team told the Chinese scientists behind the data that they had found raccoon dog DNA at the market, the files vanished from view. I was shocked, but I was not surprised. The search for COVID's origins has never been more intense. In the US, government agencies are pushing the idea the virus might have leaked from a lab in Wuhan. At the same time, we're starting to zero in on the animals that might have carried the virus into a Wuhan market and from there into people. And in the middle of it all, there are scientists learning that getting to the bottom of this mystery isn't just a question of evidence. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, following the trail to the source of COVID-19. Ian Sample, you're The Guardian's science editor, and we want to try to understand what the latest thinking is on where the virus that causes COVID-19 first emerged. So let's go back three years to the Chinese city of Wuhan. Remind me, why is that considered the starting point for this investigation? Well, when the cases of what at the time was really just known as a, a novel pneumonia, when those started appearing in hospitals, it quickly became clear from just the doctor's reports that a lot of these people worked at the Huanan market or lived in the surrounding neighbourhood, you know, just a high percentage of them. 
And what is it about markets like that one that make them such a risk for viruses to jump between animals and people? So these live markets are essentially as risky as you can get for exactly this kind of scenario where a virus jumps from animals into people. We know from the original SARS outbreak in 2002-2004, we know that animals like palm civets and raccoon dogs at markets in Shenzhen then tested positive for that coronavirus. And then when those animals are kept in cages in markets, they are in close proximity to each other and they're close proximity to other people. So the conditions are are perfect for a virus that hangs around, it mutates, it spreads, and eventually it can jump from one species to another. In this case, potentially the jump being into humans. Okay, scientists from the Chinese Centre for Disease Control were pretty quick to arrive at the scene of that market in early 2020. What did they find there and what does it tell us? In January 2020, the beginning of January, Chinese CDC researchers went into the Huanan market and they took swabs of cages, of walls, of stalls and little carts that are used for moving material around in the market. Now, the wild animals, the, the animals that were of interest to researchers, those that are susceptible to the virus, had all gone by this point. But all of these swabs were then checked to see was there SARS there and, and what other stuff did the sort of genetics reveal. And if you look at which swabs come up positive for SARS-CoV-2, the virus behind COVID, and which ones came up negative, you actually find that the, the highest density of positive results is in the southwest corner of the market. And this is exactly where live wild animals were known to have been sold. They've been photographed there, things like raccoon dogs. All of this starts to paint a picture that's certainly consistent with the virus being in animals at that market, the Huanan market, and spreading to people from there. So that evidence tells us some pretty interesting things, that the coronavirus was present in the market. In fact, that it was concentrated in a very particular part of the market, the part where we think the animals were. But it sounds as if there are still a lot of missing pieces. We don't have a smoking gun. You know, there is no proof that an animal was infected with SARS-CoV-2 at that market. And there's no proof that if there was an animal infected with SARS-CoV-2 at that market, that it spread it on to any people. And how open is China when it comes to people trying to dig into what was going on in Wuhan three years ago to try to understand the origins of the virus? Well, it hasn't been good. And it's been exasperating for scientists, for public health officials. And, you know, if, if you look at the 2021 report that came from China and the World Health Organization. They did a joint investigation. WHO sent a team to Wuhan for four weeks in January 2021. But the report that came out of that just got absolutely slammed. I mean, the UK, the US, a dozen other countries issued a statement saying that investigators just hadn't had access to the original samples, to original data, that they'd been blocked. And that lack of transparency and the lack of releasing information and collaborating with other scientists who are trying to find out what's going on, you know, that didn't happen. So Ian, we have this situation where a lot of the evidence is pointing to the Huanan seafood market. But as you say, there's no smoking gun. 
At the same time, there's this knowledge that the Chinese are not being fully transparent about what they know. And so there's another theory that has ebbed and flowed in prominence over the past three years. Currently, we could say it's pretty prominent. It's the lab leak theory. When did that first emerge? That idea came out very early on. There was focus on this particular lab, the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Right, this institute that studies infectious diseases and just happens to be in the city where COVID is first detected. I can see why people would make that connection, but was this institute actually doing research into viruses like the one that causes COVID-19? So a lot of the aim of the work at the Wuhan Institute of Virology was to try and understand what happened with the original SARS, obviously another coronavirus, and to try and understand, okay, what coronaviruses are out there? Which ones are likely to jump into humans? And what are the mechanisms that we need to look out for? What are the kind of mutations we need to look out for in the wild to alert us to the fact that, you know, these these are getting close to being able to jump into people? And, you know, you need to understand this kind of basic science. Mm-hmm. We know that some of the work they did on coronaviruses led to more infectious virus in mice, at least. And it's not clear whether that was intentional or otherwise. But we know that U.S embassy officials had raised concerns about that lab a couple of years beforehand. Other scientists had raised concerns um, simply because this is pretty dangerous work that they are doing there. And there are always concerns about biosafety and biosecurity. And was this research considered controversial in the scientific community? Absolutely. I mean, we know that some of the work there got funds from a US NIH grant. The NIH maintains that this wasn't what's called gain-of-function research, which is when you tweak a virus in the lab to see what kinds of mutations can make it more pathogenic, more transmissible, more infectious, you know, that, that can sort of ramp up the risk of it becoming a pandemic strain. And so when we study COVID-19 in the wild, the COVID that most of us have gotten and that continues to spread around the world, is there any evidence that it might have been engineered? No, there isn't. You will find corners of the web where people debate at great length what's what's called a furin cleavage site. Now, if you look through the virus's genome, you find a section of the genome which which is called this thing, this a furin cleavage site. And that makes the virus more transmissible. Now, it hadn't been seen in other SARS-related viruses. So some people said, well, it's been engineered in the lab. But you do find these sites in coronaviruses that cause the common cold. You do find those kinds of sequences in different kinds of coronaviruses that are in bats. And so it's, it's not beyond evolution to achieve that. I don't think you need someone in a lab coat and goggles with a, you know, a gene editing tools up their sleeve to achieve that. But it's certainly something that was seized on by some of the people who sort of favour the, the idea that this was produced as some kind of weapon. As of today, is there any actual hard evidence to support the lab leak theory? Or is it all purely circumstantial? The only fact that really exists around the lab leak theory is that there is a Wuhan Institute of Virology that works on coronaviruses. All of the rest is speculation. There isn't anything else, in my view, and I think in many scientists' views, that that is anything that you would call concrete evidence. Now, it may be out there, but nothing that's been made public. Three years ago, I declared that the China virus almost certainly came from the Wuhan lab. 
Now the world is finally admitting the truth, and they're saying I was right. The cover-up of COVID-19's origins is one of the greatest scandals in the history of the world. We're looking at this theory as dispassionately as possible, but of course, it's impossible to detach it from the politics and, and the noise that that creates around it. Do you think the fact that Trump and others were pushing this idea so hard back in 2020 made it harder for scientists, for people who like to rely on evidence, to look at this theory with clear eyes? This is a really interesting question because my gut feeling and my immediate reaction is yes, undoubtedly. Because of the really toxic language that was used around the pandemic by the Trump administration, the China flu, the, 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 all the anti-Chinese rhetoric that came out was all wrapped up with this lab leak idea. And I think that made it really quite distasteful for some scientists and, and, and also in the media for some people to really take seriously. Now, that said, there absolutely were a lot of scientists who said, yeah, we need to check this idea out because, of course, labs that are working with dangerous viruses can have accidents. Of course, someone can get infected and can walk home with it without realising. We need to find out what was happening at the Institute of Virology. We need to get their data and a proper investigation does need to happen because you can't just take that off the table. It's, it's clearly a possibility. Coming up, a French scientist's accidental discovery and why it's making her life so difficult. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus.
Florence Debarre. You're a senior researcher at France's Centre for Scientific Research, and you're one of the people behind a discovery this month, which is being seen as a big step forward in our understanding of where this virus came from. And it's a discovery you made sitting at home on your couch. You said it wasn't immediately clear what you were looking at, but within a few days, with the help of some colleagues, you realised you were staring at something incredibly significant. So what did it actually look like? So it's raw genomic data. They look like data related to the Huanan markets. Each file is about two gigabytes, uh, and there is a lot of them. So the whole data set that we got is over 600 gigabytes. Uh, And it's just a series of letters that correspond to uh, genetic sequences. And as you and your colleagues began to look through this data, what did you start to see? Like a table with the Latin name of raccoon dog and multiple times, except that it's the Latin name and I'm not able to pronounce it properly. So I'm just saying raccoon dog. How did you and your colleagues react? It's one of the greatest emotions of my life. I don't swear, so I I did not swear, but I can tell you that some people did. So explain to us why this is such an important result. Why seeing raccoon dog come up on your screen is such a meaningful result? Because it's the ultimate confirmation. There was a raccoon dog that was at this store, and that's very important information because these animals are susceptible to uh, infection by SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19. So it's significant to find them there. And as such, it's not a surprise. Raccoon dogs had been seen at the stall. There was photographic evidence that these animals were present. What does the fact that raccoon dogs were definitely there What does that tell us? How does it guide us in this search for the origins of this virus? So there there are two sides. It confirms that they were there. And then it provides leads for future investigation because now, now maybe people will be able to actually investigate the supply chains that brought these animals at the market and try to investigate where these animals came from. So I don't want to make it sound like we found the definite answer. Don't know yet if that's the actual source. We just found an association, and so we have to be careful. But it provides leads to the to future investigation. And so, what was the gap that your discovery filled? What does it tell us that we didn't know before? Is it that now we know for sure that there were animals susceptible to the coronavirus present at the market? Not exactly, because it was expected. It's just that it was denied, and so now it cannot be denied anymore. But there is also a point that I would like to stress. So I'm a bit uncomfortable with the fact of saying that I discovered the data Mm -hmm. in the sense that the data existed and the data were produced by other people. Mm -hmm. We have to acknowledge that we have these data because the right things were done in the early days of 2020. So there were teams that went to the Huanan markets and took swabs on surfaces and saved them and analyzed them. And so produced these data sets. The only thing I did was made the public aware that these data existed and contained important information. Is it unusual that these swabs were taken three years ago, over three years ago, in fact, but the world didn't learn about what they contained until recently? So we knew that these swabs existed because it had been reported. 
There was also a leaked report uh, about them. We didn't know what the data actually contained. I, 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 I don't want to give judgmental comments on that. Is it fair to say, though, that that delay is unusual in science? It's not just science. It's way beyond science. I mean, in science, yeah, you can take ages to, to publish data and that's okay. When the data are not important to, to the rest of the world, these data are critical to, to understand the, the origin of the virus. So it's likely that the search for the origin could have been different had these data been made public earlier. Mm -hmm. And we also realized the importance not only of downloading the data, but of guaranteeing their integrity, of showing that we downloaded them, but we did not change them. So we have all the documentation for that. Flo, your story has a bit of a twist. The files that you found were very quietly uploaded to an international database. When did you realize that they had been removed? Oh, very, very quickly. So um, it was early morning on the 11th of March uh, in France that we realized that the data were gone. So they're not erased. They're made inaccessible. What did you think when you saw that it was no longer accessible to the public? We were shocked, but we were not surprised. And we had been discussing the fact that they could be removed because the first thing that was done when we found our result was to inform the data producers that this result had been found. We did that immediately. When you work with data that have not been associated to a scientific publication, in a journal, yet you are supposed to reach out to the data producers and make the best efforts to collaborate. That's the rule of the database. We were very much aware of it, and that's the first thing that we did. You said that you reached out to the data producers, the Chinese team behind this research, to see if perhaps you could collaborate. Did they reply? And what do you know about them? So this part was dealt with by uh, people on our team who already have links uh, with the China team. So they contacted the data producers, announced the result, uh, and also offered collaboration. Did you ever hear back from them? Well, the, the, the short answer is that we're not collaborating right now, but that collaboration was offered. Mm -hmm. And that's why also I hope that the data will soon be shared again so that multiple teams with different expertise can have a look at them and make them speak. Because the more people work on this data, the more information we can extract from them. I mean, this is just such an unusual process for this data to be uploaded with no fanfare, especially given its implications, and then kept online long enough for it to be downloaded and removed as soon as the researchers know that someone else has it. What do you think is going on? It's maybe even worse than that. Because the, the, in the metadata, there is a submission date, and that's the 2nd of June 2022. And the data were only made visible on January 30th, uh, 2023. So for months, if the submission date is correct, the database had the data but had not made them public. Given what you and your colleagues discovered, 
Do you think it strengthens the case for COVID having emerged naturally? Definitely. Yeah, it adds to the body of evidence. And so far, all the facts are going in the same direction, which is a natural emergence linked to the Huanan market. And so, Flo, obviously, the lab leak theory has been discussed endlessly in the media, especially over the past few weeks. It seems to have had a resurgence. What is your assessment of that theory as a scientist? Okay, so yeah, there was a resurgence um, two weeks ago when there was this paper in the Wall Street Journal explaining that the Department of Energy had changed its assessment and was now thinking it was a non-natural origin with low confidence. And then a few days later, the FBI reminded us that they thought also that it was a non-natural origin, but with moderate uh, confidence. The FBI has long assessed, going all the way back to the summer of, of 2021, that the origin of the pandemic was likely a lab incident in Wuhan. In these cases, the elements on which their assessments are based are not public. We only know their conclusions. We don't know what their conclusions are based on. So there is no way to assess whether their conclusions are warranted or not. And that stands in contrast with what we have. Like we have data and we show with these data that a natural origin is more likely. But I must add that a lab leak still is a possible origin just that now it's less and less plausible, but it's on the list of possible origins. Uh, and maybe I should also say that I was very open to the possibility of a lab leak. I took part in discussions of international scientists, monthly workshops that were later known as the Paris Group. They published open letters and even in June uh, 2021, I was quoted saying that a lab leak is a possibility and needs to be scientifically investigated and that it's not a conspiracy theory to say that the origin may be a lab leak. And basically what I did is investigate all the scenarios that have been proposed. And for every single one of the scenarios, the stories that I investigated myself, I realized that there was nothing. Like it was stories based on speculation, on misinterpretations, and that there was no actual fact basing these these scenarios. And that also, you know, showed me that elements that were presented in in the media in favor of a lab leak were actually false. Do you feel optimistic that one day we will discover the true origin of this virus? I wouldn't be working on it if I wasn't. Yeah. We know that more data exists, and I hope these data will be shared. The U.S. are going to declassify information. We'll be able to assess uh, what they had. And, and, and you know, I, I'm a scientist, and I remain open to the possibility that new data may change the conclusion. That's how science works. You remain open, uh, and you evaluate all new data that arrive. What's this been like for you personally, being at the centre of such a sensitive and explosive issue? Yeah, well, you know, um, I'm not living the best days of my life right now. I'm facing online abuse. I'm harassed on, on social network. I have people contesting that I'm telling the truth. 
it's not fun what I'm living right now. So honestly, <laughs> I will continue because I'm interested in the topic. But no later than last night, I was just crying over the horrible things that I'm reading about myself on social media. And yeah, and it's, it's really not fun. I'm so sorry. That's terrible. Yeah, and I think it's important to, to, to say it for people to realize also I've become a character in the story, but I'm not just a character, I'm a human being. And I want people to realize that it has impacts on people. Do you feel safe? Actually, not even, because I have someone harassing me who has mentioned that he knows my address. So even that, no, um, not totally. Oh my God. And it's also the fact that You know, people have been saying I was lying and it's horrible to, to have people discuss the fact that you may be lying when you're not lying uh, and, when, and when you have a profession in which being truthful is essential. So it's, it's not fun. And also, I don't like being the center of attention, so it's a bit hard right now. But yeah, I, I'm still doing it because I, I need to tell the story. I was going to ask, I mean, given... The difficulties around this. What is motivating you? So, so, so the essence of my work is trying to understand the world. It's one of the greatest uh, riddles of, of these years. And who doesn't want to know? That was Dr. Florence Debarret, a theoretician in evolutionary biology based in Paris. Thank you so much to her and also to Ian Sample, the Guardian science editor, whose coverage of the origins of COVID you can follow at theguardian.com. Before we go, and this is a change of pace, The Guardian is giving away 10 pairs of tickets to this year's Glastonbury Festival. So for your chance to nominate someone to see the Arctic Monkeys, Guns N' Roses, Elton John, Lizzo, and many others, all for free, go to theguardian.com forward slash worthy dash winners. It's open to any UK residents aged 18 and over and nominations close on Saturday the 1st of April that's this Saturday coming and the link again is theguardian.com forward slash worthy dash winners and that is it for today this episode was produced by Eli Block sound design was by Adam Bransbury the executive producer was Phil Maynard and we'll be back tomorrow this is The Guardian <laughs>